the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. In this economy, it's important to be smart. And with the Smart Investor Hour heard right here on AM 1420, The Answer, you'll get both smart and intelligent information you'll need to help with your investing. So sit back, listen, and learn with your host of the Smart Investor Hour, Tim Hayes of RBC Wealth Management. Good afternoon, everybody. Let's start out uh, thinking positively. Courage doesn't always war. Sometimes courage is the silent voice at the end of the day that says, I'll try again tomorrow. All our dreams can come true if you have the courage to pursue them, as Walt Disney. You can choose courage. You can choose comfort. You can't choose both. Courage is more exhilarating than fear. And in the long run, it's easier. We do not have to become heroes overnight. And then Eusephus said, the secret to happiness is freedom. The secret to freedom is courage. There we go, folks. Anyway, this is a live show, and uh, we'll be taking questions if you have them. But in the meantime, if you any of the stuff you hear, you know, because we always talk about the dividend growth portfolio and the prime income list and, and any of these reports that I talk about. They're good ones, by the way. Uh, you can get them by going to the WHK1420 webpage, going to local podcast down to Tim Hayes and the Smart Investor Show. And it goes right to my webpage, by the way, and and you can sign up. It says all these, you know, email me, contact me, or, you know, that type of thing. And, uh, you know, we have our top ideas list. Uh, you know, I've, I've been buying one of our uh, small cap oil stocks pretty regularly. Uh, unfortunately, it, <laughs> they kind of took off on me, and uh, so I got to wait for them to pull back a little bit. But the prime income list is for you seniors out there that need income. These are yielding higher than uh, bonds and uh for now, anyway, our you know the the uh, our taxed at fifteen uh, percent versus regular income, the dividend growth portfolio, which I think of no better way to long term growth. Uh, you know, dividends are forty five percent of the return of the S and P five hundred for almost ninety five years now. Our ADR list, which I'm going to talk about today, and our small cap list, our all cap list, are all there, so you can get them if you want. While you're there, go to Insights. Uh, and, and there's a lot of good, new, brand-new information. We rotate that information every week. And remember, Rob Schleimer, our head technician who took over for Bob Dickey, and he's a good one, by the way, he's now trend and cycle under bulletin board. Uh, so uh, had a lot of people following Bob, uh, and uh, I don't think they know about Rob being on the show yet. So uh, we'll leave it at that. Um, look, you can also get uh, – we have – for you – Young Professionals out there, we have uh, the Young Professionals Guide to Money Matters. We also have Women and Wealth, a planning workbook, and a, a Business Owner's Guide to Transition. If you, want, you plan on selling your business, we can help with that, too. And a Savvy Investor's Credit Workbook. Um, some people think that we're, uh, we're going to see uh, much higher inflation, and I'm going to talk about that uh, in, in moments, all right? You know, the U.S. population grew by only 7.4% over the, la- the past decade. That's the smallest increase since the 1930s. And the average American adult of child-rearing age has 17% fewer children than 1990. 
and about 50% fewer than in 1960. Uh, you know, my parents had five kids, good Irish Catholic family. Ag tech has uh, seen increasing investor interest, like fintech, but for agriculture, according to uh, some numbers we just put together. And uh, while not approaching the funding numbers of enterprise software or fintech, uh, ag tech funding in the U.S. increased by about $1.8 billion in 2018 and $2.4 billion in 2019. So uh, ag tech's getting more and more important. Uh, you know, feeding the world is important. More than 60% of the jobs performed in 2018 have not yet been invented in 1940. How about that, huh? <laughs> That's kind of interesting. So uh, we had Dan Chernis on, and Dan is our head strategist, and, and he's uh, you know considered one of the best on the planet. And he had some interesting things to say, and I'm just going to just go over his key conclusions. Number one, he said that the global economy – continues to rebound very strongly from last year's recession. He believes this, the new cycle is durable, by the way. Uh, you know, it's supported by fiscal and monetary stimulus, so, you know, that's good. And it's boasted both consumer and business confidence, which is even more uh, important. And the leading indicators of economic activity have risen, in some cases, to their high, highest levels in decades, you know, so that's really good. Now, he also says that the virus remains a threat to the economies of the world, and uh because the new variants are spreading even where the vaccine people have been vaccined. All right. So that might be a problem. He also talked about prices of commodities, housing, and fuel have spiked higher because of the pent up demand uh, that's extended from the lockdowns and the supply constraints from the lockdowns. So it's causing some inflation pressure, but um, he thinks consumer prices uh, as a result of a low base from a year ago are up. Okay. And if you look at that, that's, you know, look, commodity prices were in an 11-year downtrend. Uh, they, they fell almost 81%, the Commodity Research Bureau Index. So he also said that central banks uh, appear to believe that the recent inflation spike, spike will be transitory. And that's an important thing because if inflation becomes ingrained, things get carried away. Uh, you know, he, he said in, in the fixed income markets, the rise in, in government bonds slowed in the past quarter after, you know, the big jump at the end of the year, at the beginning, you know, the first part of the first couple of weeks. So he thinks that may, you know, we'll see what happens there. But uh, he also talked about global equities. And, and you know, one of the things about global equities, they've extended their gains with a lot of the indexes climbing towards record levels in the past. But, uh, you know, the S&P spiked 10% last quarter. <laughs> That's a lot. Uh, and he says a lot of analysts have been too pessimistic. And so it'll be interesting to see what uh, goes on from there. All right. So, this live show, got some questions, uh, gave some time to think about what we're saying, first of all. The number here is 216-901-0945. That's 216-901-0945. Now, we talked about the multi-industry sector, and the, we had several people uh, institutionally uh, call uh, Dean Dre, who's our CFA and our analyst, and a very good one, by the way, uh, and say, hey, what about inflation threat on the multi-industry sector? And, he's, you know, basically mounting inflationary pressures were a very hot topic in, in that area for the first quarter. And the wall, wall of worry is, is that surging raw material prices, labor shortages, and some supply chain disruptions could stall the recovery in the group. Now, he talked about the difference in the sector between price makers versus price takers. Now, they, you know, we're talking about the, the companies like GE and Ingersoll Rand and those type of names, okay? Uh, and, and some of the water companies, too, he follows. So the short answer 
to this is, uh, is it time to shift to a more defensive price maker uh, or the higher quality or the price takers? And, you know, he, he, he thinks the cycle appears to be far more impactful uh, in predicting outperformance in the inflationary period. So he, he's, he's still staying with the ones that he has recommended, which I offered that uh, report last week. But his analysis shows that in periods of high inflation, investors should not automatically rotate up the quality curve, meaning you don't want to buy the high-quality companies. You want to buy the low-quality co- companies or the companies that are down and out due to technical uh, you know, reasons, whatever it may be. But, so he thinks that he believes that investors should continue to overweight cyclicals to ride out this bout of inflation because they are price makers for the most part. Uh, and he's got a, a list of really good ideas, but in our quant-driven price makers versus price takers model, it reveals how much pricing power impacts stock performance. It's amazing, but it has some limitations, but uh, you'll you'll see that price makers uh, narrowly outperform the price takers, uh, but with some mixed results, but the cycle timing matters more, and this is, they think this is the start of a pretty big cycle, so uh, anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll go from there. Now, uh, the other thing is everybody's talking about healthcare, healthcare, healthcare. And, you know, one of the problems with healthcare right now is that, you know, first of all, you have a situation that's plagued by the chronic conditions of bloated costs and gaps in access. And the intersection of healthcare and tech is often a remedy here. Uh, but, you know, look, I, I think if you look at the COVID-19 pandemic, maybe, maybe – it's not entirely over, so don't even kid yourself. But the accelerated pace of vaccination rollouts in most countries should ensure at least a partial economic reopening, which is positive. Now, we continue to maintain an above benchmark position in global equities. Um, and, you know, glo- fixed income, our global uh, yields have been to break out of a recent trading range. We're seeing the global bonds do better than the domestic bonds. But Look, healthcare has bloated costs and gaps in access to quality services. So, look, the healthcare model is plagued by its own chronic conditions. And there's an intersection here between healthcare and tech, which might be interesting coming up. Rising healthcare costs and unequal access to care are widespread chronic challenges. And, and healthcare, the convergence of healthcare and technology, has, has uh, you know, some real big things here. For example, do you know there's a new uh, device out there that a doctor can put up on his iPad or his whatever, you know, his little pad, and he can take a look at your knee without sending it to an x-ray or an MRI and and see if, you know, he can spot anything wrong with it or your elbow or your shoulder, you know? And it's, by the way, this device is going to the the space station. It's so good. So uh, that's, Taking technology and healthcare together, and and I think it's uh, you know healthcare is starting to embrace the digital age. And there's another product out there called Nano Pulse Technology that can actually zap. Uh, you know they're using it for cosmetic stuff now, but it's zapping uh, lesions on your skin and and you know brown spots, etc. And it, it's interesting stuff that they're doing here. So, uh, but the key is they, we have to get the cost of healthcare down. And if you're looking as most of the QECD countries are footing the bill as much as three-quarters of the health care costs, and we got to get that down. So uh, the U.S. 
has the highest health care cost, but we also uh, have the best health care. And, and a lot of people come here for it. So it'll be interesting to see what happens from here. Now, uh, somebody asked me uh, just recently, you know, what what do we do here? Uh, you know, look, one of the things I'm seeing is this, is that if you look at the momentum shift year over year, you know, last year, the FANG stocks, uh, there was only one that wasn't in the top 100 stocks, and that was Facebook. And I'm talking about the Russell 1000 growth stocks, but it was still 210. Uh, now, none of them, except for Tesla, and that was because they had a good first quarter, are in the top 200. Okay? And what we're seeing is the momentum's going to materials, financials, consumer discretionary, industrials, et cetera. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see if that continues going forward. Okay? So what we saw was the Russell value 1,000 versus the, the growth 1,000 index outperformed by 3.7%, which is a lot. So just something to think about. So I, I had uh, some questions uh, over, over the week about, hey, you know, I'm dying for fixed income. Well, first of all, don't forget the prime income list. And I, I also talked about a couple weeks ago, and I think this is a really good idea because if we have inflation, real estate investment trusts do well. Real estate does well. It's an inflation hedge. And one of the things we talked about was the life science real estate. The biotech boom is driving real a real estate boom because they're all they all try to be centered in the same space. So if you have the REITs that are in those spaces, it's a good chance that you'll have dividend increases and usually dividend increases and also growth drives these things higher. And that's the key because, you know, with a real estate investment trust can't be a real estate investment trust unless it's paying out 80% of its earnings in dividends. So if you're in this life science area, I think that it, it would be very a powerful, powerful story. Uh, so if you want that report, once again, you go to WHK1420, go to local podcast down to Smart Investor Show and Tim Hayes. Goes right to my webpage and it says contact me, email me, that type of thing. Now, look, the outlook remains robust, okay? And I, I want to talk about a couple things that I'm seeing. And I said last week in the Fed, you know, the Fed newsletter, the you know, the St. Louis uh, Fed letter. It looks like to me that monetary growth has slowed drastically. It was year over year was up 26 percent, and the Fed did that. There's no doubt in my mind, okay? You know, what they did last spring was I thought they saved the day. I thought they were great. But, you know, we had money supply growth of 26%. And in my time, I've never seen that before, okay? Uh, and I've been around a while. Now we're down below 5%. So the tapering, quote, unquote, has begun. I've also noticed that they started to buy some bonds. I mean, sell some bonds back into the space. So when they when they buy bonds, it's easy. When they sell bonds, it's tightening, okay, because they're bringing money back in. So I've noticed that. So, But look, one of the things I've also noticed is that the, the, the stock market has gone flat. And it's gone flat since the day Biden and, and the Democratic Party talked about capital gains at regular income. Since that day, we're going sideways. So with that and the Fed tightening up a little bit, uh, you know, what you could be seeing 
is a slowing down of the economic scenario that we've been thinking about, okay? I would suggest as we see it now, the outlook remains robust. The growth forecasts keep getting upgraded with the GDP. Uh, it's now kind of recovered to uh, the pre-pandemic levels, or the, the economic, uh, uh, the unemployment thing is uh, still, uh, you know, a ways away. They're starting to talk about tapering, which, you know, is just cutting back on the monetary stimulus. But it looks like they're already doing it. So it, it, what they're doing is they're talking about it, but they're doing it. Okay, so they're they're kind of fooling people out there. So I, I, I would suggest if I was buying bonds, I would stay short. Uh, remember last week I talked about that the the spread between high yield bonds and the ten year treasury uh, has gone to the ten year treasury. So you want to be careful with your high high real uh, high yield bonds. The spread is just not there. The recovery is fully priced, I think. The average yield in investment grade bonds, you know, uh, is up there. So we'll see what happens. But uh, I do think it's a scenario where, you know, you have to be paying attention, okay, uh, on the bond side. So I, I prefer the prime income list and the uh, dividend growth list right for now. Hey, let's take a break. Once again, this is a live show. If you got a question, it's 216 901 0945. 216-901-0945. Stay tuned. Okay, we're back. Get your blood flowing, doesn't it? A little ZZ top. Anyway, uh, so I had a qu- I, I talked to Brian this week on the telephone, and you can call, by the way. My phone number's on my uh, webpage, which, you know, WHK, 1420 AM, local podcast, down to Smart Investor Show. And he said, Tim, what's going on with the FANG stocks? Well, look, when, when you have a company uh, stock and it's in an uptrend, you're making higher highs and higher lows, and you can draw those. It's called an uptrend line. And then when, when they're in a downtrend, they're making lower highs, and lower lows make that a drown trend. Like, for example, I think one of the big set of pieces of news this week is oil, which has been on a monthly chart in a downtrend since 2009. Let me repeat that. Since 2009, oil's been making lower highs. It broke out this week. Oil. You know, oil is only 4.5% on the S&P 500. It is so under-owned. The ESG people, you know, think they've got the world, you know, and it's ready to go, okay? By the way, the ESG stocks have got crushed. And if you're buying high and selling low, now's a good time to sell. But if you're you're buying low and selling high, now's a good time to buy, okay? But remember, oils are – and I'll just tell you, I, I – I was talking to my clients, and, and uh, I talked to about 30% of them, 40% of them, and we bought some of them bought oils, but 50% had nothing to, would have nothing to do with them. <laughs> that's, that's a good sign, folks. I didn't get to the other 70%, unfortunately, because they popped. The three stocks I was buying popped big, 10% in a week, and it's bumming out, you know, so I, I'm waiting for them to pull back a little bit. But people don't like oil stocks. Good sign, okay? When when the world hates something, pay attention, all right? So, well, anyway, so 
when you have a stock that's making this flat tops, flat bottoms, that's called a sideways pattern. And I would suggest most of the things are doing that, okay? So it's one of those things where, you know, uh, now I think there's three of them that look really, really good, and I'm not going to mention their names, but, uh, you know, I, I think if you put, put them down as a group, they'd be going sideways. If you took three of them, you would buy, you should buy them. And, uh, the more I look at them, the more I have to, I'm probably going to have to buy some more, uh, this week. But, um, somebody asked me, you know, what I expect next week. And remember I said holiday change trends. And so far we haven't had a change in trend or anything, but you know, we're right up where we peaked back, uh, in May, the first week of May on the S and P 500. So it'll be interesting. You know, but by the way, we're peaking on less volume. The days that are down have high volume. The days that are up have lower volume. That's usually not a good sign. Um, and remember, the Fed is is using open market operations to bring the the speed of M2, the you know the the movement of F2 down. So uh, the other thing we we noticed. Uh, is that the S&P sells off usually about 3% prior to the two days prior to the PPI number. Uh, I don't know why, but it just does. So there you go. And if I look at the NASDAQ versus the S&P 500, still kind of in a downtrend. Uh, and a growth versus value, it's still in a downtrend versus value. Technology is kind of even, Stephen, with, uh, with the S&P and consumer discretionary is just killing it versus the uh, the S&P 500. Remember, that's the epicenter trade that we talked about last summer. We talked about the cruise lines and the airlines. They've worked big, very, very big. Um, look, you know, somebody asked me, Tim, what about inflation? Look, I, I, I think the Fed has this right and it's transitory. I, I don't think there's going to be more inflation. So, uh, you know, that's Tim Hayes' opinion, okay? So, uh, you know, I, I just think you got to be smart. You know, you don't want to go crazy, but, you know, look, um, I sent an article uh, from a gentleman uh, whose father started the Stock Traders Almanac. And Greg Greg had an article in, in Stocks and Commodities Magazine, which I'm sure you all get. And, you know, it's the first thing you open when you get to your house, which it is in my house. And uh, Greg Greg's a very smart man. And uh, he predicted this inflation scare. He predicted a, a sell-off because of the inflation steer. The sell-off came because of COVID. So, but if you look at commodities, you know, and you go back and you look at the commodity indexes, they've all broken out dating back to 2009, uh, or actually 2008, I guess. And one of the things you'll see is that the the low was much higher than the last low in 1999. Okay, which I think is very very important. Uh, which means probably, you know, you're going to get a pretty big move. Uh, and I, I, you know, I did notice a couple things. Now, look, I, I'm just talking, uh, this is what Tim Haynes has noticed when he looks at his charts. And I, I look at charts every day. So I literally look at thousands of charts every day. So, but if I look at the S&P 500 and I, you know, I, I look at a, a, a weekly chart, I have a, a, what they call a price momentum oscillator. And the Usually, you know, it's it's two different moving averages that, and when one crosses over the other, on the upside, it's it's a buy signal. When it crosses the on the downside, it's a sell signal. And we had one this week, so it'd be interesting. Uh, it occurred on six four, 
And the same thing happened to the OEX. So it'll be interesting. Okay, we'll just see what happens uh, going forward. Um, you know, it, one of the things that uh, I have noticed is, you know, wh- what you like to see uh, is when you have, uh, you know, uh, a, a, a group or a index that's going sideways. You know, for example, the NDX is going sideways. And it's actually made a little bit of a lower high here if it uh, turns over. But the moment, you know, what we're seeing is, is less and less momentum with each move. And uh, that, that's usually, you know, not doesn't give you a warm fuzzy. So, uh, you know, look, I think the Fed is starting to taper a little bit. So you got to use your head. Plus we have, remember, we have the bullish percent in a column of O's, okay? So just remember that part. So, um, you know, Look, we're in a four-year cycle. Uh, th- these things have been happening since World War II, and I don't know why, but it's an underlying cycle, and it's too repetitive to ignore uh, while investing. It's that simple. And we just started it, so we probably have a couple more good years. Um, the S&P 500 price trend and relative performance versus bonds it remains intact, so it's positive. It's better to be in stocks and bonds. U.S. dollar index, the long-term downtrend is in, in, in intact and i think you got to understand that uh and you know oil just broke a a big big resistance level so it'll be very interesting to see uh you know where we go from here okay now look the s&p 500 the oex the nasdaq they all remain pretty choppy here and 10-year yields and small cap stocks are near downside levels so that's that's important too so may uh, continue to frustrate investors, I think, as the S&P 500 trades sideways in a very volatile range, bouncing from support at its 50-day moving average, which is about 40, 40, 50, and only a stall under its resistance, uh, which is the recent highs of 4,200. So it happened, happens occasionally, but daily momentum remains negative, but it's beginning to bottom, but weekly momentum is very negative. So, (laughs) you know, it's kind of, uh, you know, do we have a rally before we continue down? I don't know. But look, interest rates, um, you got to look at those as kind of like rumple strips, you know, uh, you know, when it tells you to slow down a little bit. I think 1.53 is a key reversal uh, level for the 10 year bond. And, and Rob Schleimer does too. So I, I'm in good company. Uh, so if, if we were to break that, uh, you know, we, we make a lower high. And yield. So now, what what is the bond market seeing that the stock market is not is not seeing? Well, maybe it's seeing the Fed, you know, starting to slow down M2 growth. That might be it. Maybe it's seeing the Fed buying back bonds or selling bonds. Okay. Uh, maybe it's saying, boy, Biden has the opportunity to get this tax increase through. And if he does, uh, believe me, I think things are going to slow down a little bit. So. Uh, now, one thing I will say with interest rates is the relative strength momentum is down, you know, where it's bottomed before. So keep that in mind. Uh, now, the Russell 2000 is an index, you know, is, is a small cap index, and and it's it is a big barometer for investor interest, and it's right at the bottom. Uh, you know, economic reports have signaled a stronger economy, but the Russell, similar to 10-year bonds, have actually stalled and traded sideways. So some, something's not making sense here. Hey, let's take a break. We'll be right back with a bullish percent. Uh, once again, it's live show, 216-901-0945. Stay tuned.
doesn't let that last guitar riff go. <laughs> you know, this is the year of the squeeze. Uh, you know, you had shares of AMC Entertainment, uh, Holdings, and GameStop post monster games with unbelievable volatility, by the way. And there's also been Best Buy, uh, not Best Buy, um, I'm so, well, I'll think about that one, uh, Cost, and a couple other names that they just listed these things off uh, in a big, big way. And uh, so the, the, the retail clients is take, you know, ganging up against the institutions who are short these stocks. And what's funny is that most of these people know nothing about valuations. <laughs> and something tells me that could end badly. Um, it's just, you know, I've seen this before. And everybody said they were right, they were right, they were right until they were wrong. And then when they were wrong, they lost a lot of money. So be careful out there. Uh, you know, if you look, the top 100 weighted stocks in the iShares Russell Value ETF, GameStop and AMC are there. So, uh, you know, and it, the, the fundamentals just don't match it. <laughs> they don't. I'm sorry. Uh, anyway, and by the way, they both diluted the stock big time. So that, I thought that was interesting. Now, look, I said on this show uh, in between the uh, Christmas and New Year's, or I think it was the day after New Year's, that GameStop, that uh, a guy named Cohen, who was the guy that started Chewy, had bought a couple million dollars with the stock, and, and I had clients buy it, and they thought we thought we were geniuses when we sold the 200. Uh, but the, I looked at the valuation, you know, a real live valuation for it is much lower. So I'll just be careful with those stocks out there. I'm not saying you should buy or sell them. Just be careful, you know, use your head. Anyway, the bullish percent has always been one of my favorite things simply because it's a risk monitor. It's been tough this year because we bounced between 60 and then we hit 80. Then we went down a column of O's back to 60 again. Then we went to 78 and we went to a column of O's again. Then we bounced down to 60 again. Then we went to 76 to we went to column of O's. Then we went to 74 in column of O's. And now we're at 70. Now we were up 3% last week. We're still in a column of O's. So if we were to reverse here, it would be a, uh, another lower high. So we'll see what happens. The over-the-counter index uh, went into a column of X's this week. It was up 3.1%. So the small caps uh, have turned up, uh, which is good. And it wouldn't reverse down until 48. So we've got, got a little room there. And the world index is still in the column of O's. Uh, it has to get to 56. It's at 54.8 right now. It's up 2% this week. So, um, the the by the way, if you look at the bullish percent for all the indexes, that did go into a column of X's this week, but at 59. Okay, uh, so that includes the New York Stock Exchange index, the value lines, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, the mixed bag. It's very tough. You know, it's. We've been up here a long, long time, and I get uh, notoriously uh, quiet during times like this uh, because I've been here before, and, and sometimes it doesn't make sense to buy things into this. Um, more or less, you know, if you have something go straight up, it's, you might want to take some profits, in my humble opinion. Uh, so the, the other thing that I saw, and this is usually a prelude to the bullish percent, is the optionable stock bullish percent. So this is all the stocks that you can trade options on. Wendell column of X's this week, and it's, they're at 64. Now, it's 60. Uh, 
I don't think it, it breaks out till it hits 70. So it's still a long way from 30 and uh, very positive action, though. Uh, look, I'm, I'm not fearful of the equity market at all at this point, simply because they're still the number one asset class in our friends at Dorsey Wright, who do buy, provide us with the bullish percent, by the way. They're the keepers of it. Uh, but, you know, they also have dynamic asset level investing. So what they're doing is they're telling you which asset class has the highest relative strength. And domestic equities have that. Back in 2007 and eight, I came on board here uh, and I said that the money market would outperform the stock market. Okay, and I said it for three months. That's because domestic equities were dead last. They were the lowest form of life at that point. Now they're number one. So if we do have a correction, I just think it's something that, you know, you want to uh, use as a buying opportunity. But, you know, make sure that you're, you're paying attention anyway. Anyway, the, um, the Dow Jones Industrial Average had weekly uh, momentum negative for about four weeks now. And, but the frontier, uh, the, the Morgan Stanley Corporate, FM is the symbol, has been positive for 10 weeks. And that's usually a problem. The mid-cap index has been negative for eight weeks. And remember, the small-cap index have been negative for 10 weeks, just went positive this week. The QQQs, the uh, S&P 500 equal weights, the S&P 500 trust, and the XLG, which is the 50 largest stocks, all have had negative momentum for four weeks. That's a lot. So now I did notice that some of the uh, international stocks, you know, we talked about those last week. And the international stocks have had fund scores over three, which are good, but Stuff like the EEM and the EFA have all, uh, you know, they're breaking out. The EFA has hit an all-time new high. So, uh, you know, we did upgrade European stocks this week. And we so the ADR list is something you want to grab from us if you got the time. Uh, and all you have to do is go to WHK 1420 AM, local podcast down to uh, Smart Investor Show Tim Hayes. Go to It goes directly to my webpage. It's contact me, email me. But I think the ADRs are a place you want to be. Uh, now, the IJR, this is the small cap, has formed a double top at 114. So if we were, if we were to hit 116, bingo, uh, you're off to the races. And that would be positive because Rob Schleimer has been saying it's been going sideways, you know. And it's not going down, but it's going sideways. And same with the 10-year yield. So if the 10-year yield were to break out to the north, I think the small caps would follow them. If it breaks out to the south, then economic you know, growth isn't that great. So I do think on a point and figure chart, if the IJR breaks 116, that's very positive for the smaller names out there, all right? Now, we did have the QQQs reverse back in a column of Xs. So it does look like it's setting up to go higher. Uh, it's got a high fund score. It's over three and a half. It's at 431. So uh, some of these names, you know, it's very positive. And we had the, the RSP, which is the... Uh, Equal weight index, so it's the S&P 500, but each stock gets one vote instead of by capitalization weight or price. And uh, so if it breaks 154, it's off to the races too. So, you know, it's hard to be negative, like I said, because domestic equities are still the number one asset class. Now, what's really interesting, to make it even more complicated, is we only have five favorite sectors now. And we still have a lot of sectors to the right, okay? So on the sign curve, you want to buy them when they're all to the left. But we have banking, which is at 84, which is pretty high. I think I'd wait on any banking stock. Savings and loans, which is a 76. That's still pretty high. I'd wait on those. Textiles, which are at 64. 
So wait on those building materials, which are 54. Now you can, you know, you got depend on the chart. Steel, which is at 50. All right, and we have drugs that are below 30 but are not favored. So uh, we got a lot more unfavored sectors than favored sectors. So you're seeing, you know, the market uh, on the up days is staying with a certain group of stocks, and I think uh, they could get beat up a little bit. Now, biotech which uh, and, and steel, uh, semiconductors, which have been down and out, uh, the most unfavored category moved up a category. So they're almost at average. And insurance, which have been most favored, is now average. So uh, just, you know, a couple things there. Now, last week, South Korea was the top-performing international stock. It's now the Netherlands, South Korea, Taiwan, Sweden, South Africa, Finland, Norway, Greece, India, Ireland, and Australia. Those are the only buys I have on the international side. So uh, I'm looking at point-and-figure charts now. Our friends at Dorsey Wright, you know, are – you, you, there's ways to find point and figure charts. So you have to do business with me, though. But uh, I did notice, you know, a couple of the Greek ETFs, um, you know, are forming double tops. So if they were to break that top to the positive side, uh, we'd have a breakout and then probably a good time to, you know, pay attention. Now, a lot of these Greek uh, ETFs that I'm looking at have a high degree of financials, all right? Have, you know, 25, 36% uh uh, financial. So now the 10 year treasury yield, uh, remains on a buy signal and it sits in the column of O's. So that means, you know, uh, a buy signal means it's an upward trend on interest rates. Now what it's doing is it's pulling back. All right. So it, the 30 year treasury is the same way, but it just reversed into a column of X's this week at, uh, you know, so it, it means a 2.175. So uh, if you look at these, uh, you know, they, if they both turned up at the same time, that would be a big positive. But the top bond, the most improved bond, is definitely the inflation-protected bonds. Uh, convertible bonds uh, had the most negative movement in the last couple of months, and, and the U.S. government agency bonds did. Uh, global currency bonds have been second on so. You know, the, the two top bonds have been inflation protections and global currency. So keep that in mind. Uh, you know, I looked at uh, uh, some things and, and crude oil, you know, which had been negative for a while. It's the second week of positive move. And uh, crude oil has broken 67, which is a double top and very important on the charts because on a monthly basis, if we just look at a regular monthly chart, crude has broken its downtrend line. The downtrend line is where we make a series of lower highs. And it, it's that, you know, it turns things more positive, okay? So people are starting to say, hey, maybe I better get into oil. Uh, gold has been positive for 10 weeks. It needs to bust through that 2000 mark. It's at uh, 1886, I think, for the close. And copper has been negative for a week. Uh, and, you know, corn made a big move, but it'll be interesting. But, you know, corn, I do think if you look, um, you know, you've got to start to pay uh, close attention to the oil market because it's under-owned in a big way. It's it's terribly under-owned, and uh, just leave it at that. So uh, now we had some relative strength changes this week, and relative strength is just how your stock's com- performing compared to something else. And the something else is the S&P 500 equal weighted index. Uh, we do that simply because we, we want it on a one-for-one basis, Okay. 
So buys this week were BioCrest, by the way, that's a big holding of the Baker Brothers, Global Cord Blood Corporation, Interface, Magda Autos, uh, Richardson Electric, Simon Property Group, which is, I think, one of those equities that have some of that biotech exposure, WW International, Veracta Therapeutics, Titan Machinery, uh, Orbital Energy Group, Envent Electric, and Alpha Metallurgic. Uh, by the way, a lot of those stocks showed up on my charts this week. So it's interesting. They, they gave relative, uh, relative strength buy signals, and they're on my charts. That's a, that's a double positive as far as Tim's concerned. We had some cells, uh, BioRad Laboratories, Kirkland's, uh, Ultragenics, BioRad, and that's about it. All right. So uh, anyway, you know, when you get a cell signal, all I would suggest is that you take a look at your fundamentals, make sure that you got the right stock, and take a look at the te- technicals. All right. Let's take a break. We'll be right back with insiders. Stay tuned. This is Smart Investor Show. And uh, this is where, you know, what we've done is we talked about Dan Chernus and, and his strategy session, okay? And then we've talked about, and we've moved down to different industries, you know, the multi-industry sectors. And by the way, there's a couple names in that sector that I really, really like. And Dwayne Dre is a really good analyst. <laughs> you should call in for that report, I think. Uh, and uh, th- we moved down to REITs in the life science business, Okay. Then we talked about the technical aspects of the market for a couple of things here. Now we're talking about insiders. Insiders are smart people because they're there, all right? They're, they're at the board meetings, you know, for the most part. They're, they're knowing what's going on with their company. So they're looking at the fundamentals. They're not looking at technicals at all, all right? They're just looking purely at the fundamentals. So we started with the, the overall picture of the, the economies, all right? with Dan Sureness. Then we talked about fundamental analysis. Then we went back to technicals. Then we're going back to fundamentals. <laughs> All right? So as far as uh, insiders, uh, they tend to be early. I'm looking for large purchases, not small. And I'm looking for multiple purchases. Okay? So uh, then what I do is I check the, the fundamentals, and then I check the technicals. Okay? So that's that's when I pay close attention. Now, uh, Era Life Sciences uh, is is an acquisition company. All right. And perceptive advisors, which is smart biotech money, smart healthcare money, uh, just bought 330,000 shares to the tune of $3.3 million. Um, and I, I think they made another purchase. Uh, I'm not absolutely sure, but I, I believe, you know, that, that was on June 3rd. And I believe on the first, uh, I mean, on the, uh, the fourth, they might have done it again. Uh, also, Penny Mac, I don't know what's going on here, but Penny Mac uh, Financial Services, which is a mortgage company, you know, they had a bunch of buyers last week, and then we this time we have MFN Partners uh, buying $2.9 million worth. And uh, Farhad Ninja, uh, he bought $2.9 million. And, and so we, it's a continuation of what we saw last week. So we've had multiple buyers. I don't know what the scoop is uh, with this one I've been looking into. I looked into it last week, uh, but, you know, something's, Something's up, and uh, they're continuing. 
Also, uh, Franchise Group, you know, we talked about them last week, and we had another couple buyers, Andy Lawrence, who's an executive vice president, bought 1.8 million or 50,000 shares, and uh, that's always good. Uh, and then I, I uh, had the Bass, uh, Basswood Group, uh, or Basswood Capital Management, I think it's called, uh, by uh, Regions Regional Management Company, which is Credit Services. They bought 1.5 million on June 4th, and then uh, they bought. Uh, on June 3rd, they bought uh, about 765,000. Then uh, back on June 2nd, they bought 600,000. So multiple buyer, you like to see in that stuff. And um, th- this one is uh, uh, Dodecker, uh, which is internet retail. And there was a large buyer, uh, and he happens to be a director, Clark Gross- Grossness, and he bought $1.1 million. This thing uh, was at $2.00. Uh, and it, it, it had gone a couple of weeks ago. It went from four to eighteen, then back to two dollars. <laughs> so I don't know. It might be it might be one of those ones, the Mimi stock. So uh, be careful. Uh, and then uh, the Shea Precision Group, which is in scientific equipment, uh, we we had uh, a director Wes Cummins buy a million dollars worth. And then down in Bradstreet, uh, we haven't seen anybody really buy in this in a long, long time. And we had the the chief executive officer, which is uh, uh, Anthony Jabor, he bought 900. He's also at Black Knight Software. He's uh, the chief executive officer there. He bought $990,000 worth. So that's kind of interesting. We had a couple of names. Uh, a director at, at Norfolk Southern bought $600,000 worth, $660,000 worth. And by the way, there have been several buys there. And then Kevin Tang uh, at La Jolla has bought some more stock. Uh, he bought another $800,000 worth. Uh, and, you know, he bought $9 million a couple of weeks ago, or a week ago, and he bought another 200000 So he's, he's probably bought about $10 million worth of stock uh, in the last couple of weeks. Kevin tends to be a pretty smart guy. A couple names that we haven't seen in a while, Monroe Muffler. Uh, stock's gone from 72 down to 62. Had a couple of insiders buy there. Uh, also FireEye, which uh, the president and CEO, John Waters, uh, the stock got killed on uh, Friday or Thursday, I think it was, because of, uh, uh, they, they spun off something that the street didn't like, and he stepped up to the plate and bought uh, 25,000 shares. So that's kind of good. A couple other names, just smaller smaller scenarios. Uh, Lynn, Lynn, Bad, uh, Lynn Blad, I'm sorry, Expeditions. We had uh, uh, Dolph Burley, who's the CEO, uh, buy about $700,000 worth of stock. All in all, there was more sellers than buyers this week, okay? So something to think about, and uh, I think, you, you know, you've got to pay attention to that. So uh, when when they are, when there's more sellers than buyers, usually that's not a good sign. What you like to see is when there's a down-and-out market like last spring and the insiders came out of, out of the woodwork. So um, now, look, I want to talk about the long term, and U.S. Act- equity generational cycles usually last about 17 years. Uh, now, Bob Dickey thought it started in 2014. Rob Schleimer started, thought it started at the beginning of 2017. Either way, we probably have a, still have a good 10 years of this structural bull market going. Now, it doesn't mean it's going to go straight up, all right? We had a structural bull market in the 80s, and we had 1987, which was, uh, you know, <laughs> I'll never forget my, uh, I, I came home on Friday. My wife told me she was pregnant and I went in Monday and the market crashed. 
<laughs> it's not really good for your heart. Anyway, uh, and we did have 1990, which was another bear market. And we, did, and we had 1998 with the Russian ruble crisis, you know. So it, they don't go straight up, but they, it's fast moves down and a quick recovery usually in a, in a secular bull. So 2016, let's say 17 starts it. We're four years into it. We've got 10 to 12 more years of, uh, of good, solid performance, I think. And one of the things I, you know, that Bob Dickey always talked about and Rob Schleimer's using too, which I think is impressive, is what we look at is the monthly four-month moving average and the 13-month moving average. When the four-month is over the 13-month, you have the ball, okay? The offensive team's on the field. When, it, when they separate either direction, you know, when the four-month, which is pretty far above the 13-month right now, they're going to they're gonna regress to the mean. Okay, uh, back in 19, you know, in 2009, I said this is, you know, I came on and said this is the bottom. All right, that's because the four month was so far below the 13 month. It was the biggest gap I'd ever seen. I knew we were going to turn around. Uh, so you, you just got to be careful because right now it's it, they're pretty far apart. So uh, you know, we had a good eight, nine, ten months now. So you you know, just be prepared if something happens now. I still think stocks versus bonds, you want to be in stocks, okay? Uh, I think bonds still have I mean, you've been in a 40-year bull market in bonds. If you haven't made money by now, you, you're in the wrong sector. Now, if you look at the some of the foreign stocks, and this is what I think we have to pay attention to, some of the foreign stocks are breaking out. Now, they don't have relative price performance versus the S&P yet, but if the dollar continues to be weak and the dollar's kind of given up, you know, almost gave up 90 uh, last week, and it did a couple times and then rallied back up, you'll probably see some of the relative performance come in. So, the, and I'm not talking just about the emerging markets now, I'm talking about international security. So, you, have, you know, remember, RBC went positive on the ADR list, okay? And our ADR list is a good one. And it's, we've got an Englishman who's been in the business for a long, long time. Alan Robinson, he knows what he's talking about. He's got a good, solid list of companies to buy, okay? So you might be able to do that, or you could buy your ETFs. I've got a couple names that I really like. But what we'd like to see is with all these, whether it's the uh, the mid-caps, the small-caps, the emerging market stuff, you know, whatever it may be, you want to see some relative performance. Now, the EEM did break above – the line, but it came right back down. So, uh, you know, the relative performance line, the downtrend line, we'll call it. So that's something you want to uh, pay attention to. The other thing, the 10-year yield, and this is my last point I'll make, it paused under the 178 mark. Remember I said if it broke 180, it's going to 210, and it didn't break 180. We did have a 50% retracement, a Fibonacci number, okay? So we went up 50 and now the question is, are we going to pull back? And monthly momentum and and uh, relative strength uh, is is up there. So, you know, it might might sit for a while. The dollar, I don't know, it went right to the downtrend line and died. And now it's at support, so we'll see what happens there uh, for now. I would say the Canadian dollar broke out against the U.S. dollar, which is really interesting. And like I said, the emerging markets are breaking out on a long-run basis. Same with commodities. Copper futures look like they're going much higher. Crude oil broke downtrend line dating back all the way to 2018. Pay attention, folks. All right, pay attention to that. In the meantime, 
you know, go to my, go to my webpage. You can get there by going to WHK 1420 AM. Go to local podcasts down to Smart Investor Show, Tim Hayes. You can go directly to my webpage while you're there. Pause. Take a look at Insights. There's a lot of good information on that page, and they rotate it weekly. Also, Rob Schleimer's new trend and cycle stuff. If you like to look at charts, you know, sometimes the stock market's so big, it's hard to figure out. But if you look at something, if you see what's going on, it's better for you, okay? Rob Schleimer's going to be putting that out weekly, all right? So that's, that's there, and I think it's important you can grab it. But if you'd like our ADR list, our dividend growth list, our prime income list, good things to be looking at, our best idea list for small caps, multi-caps, that type of thing, please let us know. Uh, also, we have some reports out there. Women and Wealth, a planning workbook. Uh, I've sent a lot of those out. And Money Matters for the Young Professionals. I've sent a lot of those out also. Uh, and then a, a Business Owner's Guide to Transition Planning and the Savvy Investor's Credit Workbook. They're all available to you. I think they're great. You know, if you don't know what to do with credit, learn, okay? In the meantime, it's a beautiful weekend outside. We've been indoors too long. Uh, this is Smart Investor Show. My name is Tim Hayes. Don't forget to buy low and sell high. Thanks for listening to the Smart Investor Hour. To reach Tim during the week, call him toll-free, 888-223-7742. That's 888-223-7742. Or visit his website, rbcwmfa.com slash Tim Hayes. That's all one word in the address bar, rbcwfma.com slash Tim Hayes. Please join us again next Saturday for the Smart Investor Hour to hear more smart investing from Tim Hayes of RBC Wealth Management.